Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Five Wives Vodka, Energy Healing Conference, and the Salt Lake Barber Company. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. All right, all right, all right. Are you guys ready for this episode? Episode 380 of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. Hard to believe. I know it. 20 episodes away from episode 400. That is so crazy. I never thought I'd make it this far. Really? When I when I started this podcast almost seven years ago. Speaking of almost seven years ago, I was like, we need to celebrate for episode 400. And it sounds like there is... A seven-year anniversary celebration, hopefully in the works for August. So keep your ears to the ground. Make sure you're connected to us, and, and we'll tell you uh, more about that as uh, as we get a little closer to August. I know there are a couple of you that this might be your first time listening to us, and you might be asking yourself, what exactly is this podcast? Well, Chris and I are here to showcase awesome people in Salt Lake City, just great people doing great things. We get to talk to people like musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, really anyone who might have a cool story to share. So let's welcome everybody out to the podcast. My name is Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. You doing all right over there? I am. I'm doing great. It's hard to be in a bad mood when it's beautiful outside. Oh my gosh, the sun is the best, yeah, right? That vitamin D. It's I just so need great. that soaking into my skin. Today on the podcast, we actually got to sit down and have an awesome conversation with Michael Feldman of Feldman's Deli. We got to find out what inspired him to open the deli, the events he does at the deli, and we actually got quite the history lesson about Jewish delis. This is a really good conversation that we're going to be getting into in just a minute. Hey, we're recording today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio that's located in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. And not only does Empire have an amazing selection of vape juice and vape accessories, but this is where you can come and purchase your very own I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirt. So make sure to stop on in, check this place out, and uh, pick up a t-shirt while you're here. And before we jump into this conversation with Michael Feldman, we just want to tell you a little bit about one of our awesome sponsors, Five Wives Vodka. Or should we say Five Husbands Vodka? Oh, yeah. You know, so the other day they released Mm -hmm. uh, that they have a brand new bottle, Five Husbands, in honor of Pride Month. Because Pride Month is, is June here in Salt Lake City. And so they're releasing this limited edition Five Husbands, which is the best label in the world. I'll put that at <laughs> IamSaltLake.com uh, as well. And I heard that they only made about 4,300 bottles of this. So there's quite a bit, but Utah's a big place. Right. So you're going to want to make sure to pick up a couple of bottles of this Five Husbands uh, vodka. It's it's going to be a collector's item. I know I'm for sure at least getting three hey maybe five maybe five get, five husbands you were already uh talking about giving them to some of your co-workers i really would love to do that so much that'd be fantastic they have three different flavors though we're going to tell you about them really quick though they have the original flavor this is the one that's made from utah mountain spring water it's 100 percent distilled corn spirit and it's gluten-free the spring is hidden in beautiful ogden canyon so it's inaccessible by vehicle so they're hiking this water out five gallons at a time And for those of you who like a little more spice in your drink, you need to check out Five Wives Sinful. Sinful is a delicious cinnamon-flavored vodka. It's not like other cinnamon products that leave that candy taste in your mouth. Sinful is like a morning cinnamon roll with only 76 calories per ounce. They also have the Five Wives Heavenly-flavored vodka with a delicious vanilla taste. Heavenly's rich, buttery vanilla flavor, it comes through without coating your taste buds with sugar, and this results in more vanilla and less calories. Their website, fivewivesvodka.com. Go check it out. Also, make sure to pick up one of these bottles of Five Husbands. You're going to love it. I mean, it's a cool bottle. Trust me. There's recipes, all that stuff at fivewivesvodka.com. And like I always say, every time you take a shot of Five Wives Vodka, you're supporting this podcast. And as always, many thanks to Five Wives Vodka for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's jump into that conversation that we had with Michael Feldman when he came and sat down with us in our podcast studio 
to tell us all about Feldman's Deli. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this conversation. Where did you grow up? Where is home for you? I was born in Newark, New Jersey. Don't hold it against me. I lived there for about eight years before my parents decided it was time to move out of the city and into the suburbs. So I grew up in Colonia, New Jersey, which is a little town near Scotch Plains, Plainfield, Edison, that part, Middlesex County. And I grew up there through high school. I'm a Rutgers grad. So I went to the State University in New Jersey. What'd you go to school for? For biological sciences. I wanted to be a a general practitioner at one time. I wanted to be Marcus Welby. And here you are. Now you own a deli, right? Yeah. Pretty close. What brought you to Utah then? From, I mean, New Jersey of all places to end up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, that'll take a couple of minutes. Okay. Because I ended up going to London for a PhD in medicinal chemistry. And while I was there, I worked in a lab to make extra money. London's an expensive city. And even though they gave me a scholarship to go for my doctorate, I felt like it would be better. I'd enjoy London better if I had some extra change in my pocket. So I worked in a laboratory called the Drug Teaching and Control Center, which was Arnold Beckett's laboratory. Sir Arnold Beckett was one of the three people that figured out what the Germans were doing after World War II and why their athletes were so big and their women had you know huge muscles and their men had pimples going all down their back, but they can throw shot puts like 30 yards further than anybody else. And he and a French guy and a German guy, Donica, were looking into what the Germans were doing. Well, the East Germans were using technology developed by the Nazis during World War II in order to make their soldiers really aggressive in the field. They were giving them testosterone, not for the muscle buildup, but for the roid rage that you get from high levels of testosterone. So their soldiers would go out there and want to kill, 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 kill. And uh, after World War II, they continued doing the research on testosterone. What they noticed was the soldiers given testosterone, carrying 70-pound packs on their back and marching, also started to bulk up and get big muscles. So they put two and two together, and that's why the East Germans were dominating in the Olympics in the 50s after World War II. And so Beckett and his colleagues, Donica, and I can't remember the French guy's name off the top of my head, uh, started looking into and figured out that they were using testosterone to make athletes really strong. So I was there at the time when Donica, when um, Beckett's laboratory was developing technology to detect the use of testosterone and other drugs, which were enhancing athlete performance. And I was there from 79 to 87 and 84, the first Olympics to use any kind of drug testing was the LA Games in 1984. And the technology that we were developing in London was being used in LA for the first time to detect people who were cheating. Interesting. Wow. So that long story brought me to the fact that I was recruited when I came back from London to the United States to run the laboratory in Atlanta for the 1996 games. And then one of the guys that I trained in Atlanta became a professor at the U. And when Salt Lake was chosen, he volunteered for the drug testing. And he didn't think that anybody would take him seriously, but they did. So uh, he was asked to help. And so he called and said, we need you out here. And another friend of mine who ran a small uh, drug testing laboratory, Northwest Toxicology, has been wanting me to come to Salt Lake for a long time to help run his business. So those two things put together was enough critical mass to get me to come to Salt Lake. I've been coming out here to ski for a long time. So it wasn't really a lot of arm twisting to get me. I just had to figure out a way to support my family when I came out here. So you were pretty familiar already with things about Salt Lake. It wasn't like a shock to you when you came here. It wasn't a shock. I mean, it was more of a shock to my wife because she didn't know a lot about Salt Lake. But when we moved here, it was kind of like, where are you bringing me? But uh, she wouldn't trade it for the world now. Now, why did you have to move here? Why couldn't you just visit or not visit, but just like temporary stay while you were doing the drug testing? How long of time was that for? Well, the drug testing for the Olympics is a part-time thing. Sure. Once every four years. 
or if you're lucky enough, you might get now it's once every two years with the summer and winters being staggered. But but it's not like they move people around. Typically, the drug testing is just at a local university laboratory. Okay. Although there was an exception when we were in Atlanta. It was actually uh, doing it at SmithKline, which was the first and only commercial laboratory that actually did Olympic drug testing. But, but then you need, in order to sustain your family, you need a real job. And that's where taking over um, uh, the management of Northwest Toxicology, that was what really made it feasible for me to come to Salt Lake. And it was a good job with a great company and colleagues that I liked a lot. And so I ended up sticking around to run that laboratory. And we finally sold that to a big reference lab. And then I ended up in genetics, taking over genetics tools company. And we ended up selling that company. And that's kind of when Myriad got into a lawsuit over their BRCA gene. And that scared investors away from the space of biotech that I was in. So it kind of came, hit a brick wall. And that's when I turned to my wife, Janet, who grew up in a family of bakers, said, it's your turn. What do you want to do? She said, I don't want to get up at two in the morning. (laughs) So we took bakery off the table and we said, what else do we know from Jersey that's missing here? And we both instantly said, there's no deli here. So we started looking around, put a business plan together. Took us about eight months. And then I was looking around for property. And the location on 20th East and 27th South, right across the street from Cactus and Tropicals, became available. And that's only like a tenth of a mile from the largest synagogue in Utah. Oh, wow. It's a great location. It's a great location for what we wanted to do. And there was uh, off-street parking, 50 parking spaces. That's like worth gold because, you know, people, if they can't come and park, They'll just drive by and go somewhere else. Yeah. So the fact that we had a parking lot, we're on a busy neighborhood corner. Delis where I grew up were always in the neighborhood. So I like the feel of that location because it was in a neighborhood. There were some good tenants on that corner already. Cactus and Tropicals, uh, Frost Books, Southeast Pharmacy, Chuck Service Center. So people were coming to that corner anyway, even though it doesn't have the cachet of 9th and 9th were 15th and 15th, it was a busy corner. In addition, one of the things that I found out later, I didn't even realize it at the time, but a lot of people who work up at the U or go to the U with students, staff, and the medical school and the university hospital use 2000 East as a shortcut to avoid going up foothill in the morning during rush hour. It brings them out. If you go up 2000 East and jog over to 2100, it brings you out right up by uh, Bonneville Golf Course, and you don't have to sit in the, the mile of traffic it takes to get up to the U. So, so it that, brings people right by. Brings it right yeah. by, you know, and I've got a corner location. And uh, so all the planets were lining up. So we just took it, and uh, it's been. And the rest is history, right? Exactly. Now, what year? So 2012, right? Is what? The, so I took the lease January 2012, and we were ready to go May 2012, but then we had to sit on our hands because the city wouldn't give us our certificate of occupancy till November. Why is that? Holy what happened? Cow. I think it's just because I was a small business and other big projects came in. Hmm. So I kept getting pushed to the end of the queue. I had to keep camping out there in order to get a certificate of occupancy. And were you already renting that space? Like you were paying monthly to keep the space open without being able to actually do anything? Yes. I mean, my landlord was was nice enough to give me a certain amount of tenant improvement money in order to renovate the space. And then once he realized how I was struggling with the city, he cooperated with me. He didn't demand that I pay rent, but eventually I'm going to have to pay that to him one way or the other. But he just made it possible for me to wait until we were generating revenue. Do you know what was the shop that was in there before? House of Bread. Oh, so, well, okay. So it kind of was set up already to have a similar type Well, it wasn't thing. set up. I mean, it was just an empty box. So when House of Bread left, they took everything. But it was set up as a bakery. It had a suspended ceiling, which when I went in and poked up the tile, um, I saw that there was a beautiful barrel ceiling there. So we ripped the ceiling down and renovated it put in a kitchen and turn and a, a dining room. So we're about 25% kitchen 
and 75% dining room. The bakery, when it was there, was 90% bakery kitchen and only about 10% seating. So we, we totally transformed it into a restaurant. Let's actually take a quick break here. We need to play a couple messages from our sponsors, but I want to get into your menu and what's going on there at Feldman's Deli because I know you even have music there in the whole nine yards, but I want to talk about that when we come back. So hang tight. We'll be right back. All right. It's that time of the podcast where we take just a couple of minutes, tell you about a couple of our awesome sponsors. Now, remember, when you support one of our sponsors, you are supporting this podcast. So support a sponsor, support the podcast. We actually have a brand new sponsor, so make sure to pay attention and give them a little bit of extra love. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Energy Healing Conference. Energy Healing Conference is coming to Salt Lake City on June 21st and June 22nd, right downtown to the Salt Palace Convention Center. There will be dozens of nationally acclaimed speakers who are experts in the field of energy medicine, nutrition, acupuncture, qigong, over 200 alternative health vendors with unique products and services. Some of the keynote speakers include Carol Tuttle, Tammy Pendleton, and Benjamin King. Head on over to energyhealingconference.com. This is where you can find out all the information about this awesome conference as well as podcast listeners can enter in the promo code IMSLC, all one word, so IAMSLC at checkout. This is going to save you $10. Now, one thing to keep in mind, the earlier that you register, the better the price since tickets keep going up as it gets closer. Again, the website, energyhealingconference.com. Head on over to the website, find out more about the conference that's coming to the Salt Palace June 21st and June 22nd. Remember to use the promo code IMSLC, all one word. This is going to save $10 and we're going to see you there. And many thanks to Energy Healing Conference for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Salt Lake Barber Company. Full disclosure, this is where I go to get my haircuts and occasional beard trims. Isaac over there, top-notch barber. They are located at 10 East, 800 South, right on the corner of 8th and Main, right here in Salt Lake City. They offer haircuts, beard trims, straight razor shaves. They are truly a true community barbershop. They focus on providing the best work environment possible and allowing barbers to always provide the highest quality experience while in the chair. Listen up though, they do take walk-ins if they're available. So, you know, you I, I know how it is. Those those moments you're like, I just need a haircut. You can try and see if they can take you in as a walk-in. But if you want a guaranteed appointment, this is what I do. I just head on over to saltlakebarberco.com. This is where you can schedule your appointment. You select your barber, you select the services that you want. If you need a beard trim or a haircut, maybe you need a straight razor shave. saltlakebarberco.com. Go check it out. Go support them. Tell them hello from I Am Salt Lake Podcast. And as always, many thanks to the Salt Lake Barber Company for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's get back into that conversation that we had with Michael Feldman from Feldman's Deli as we talk all about the deli business. Thanks for listening, you guys. I want to talk about the menu that you have there because you consider it uh, Jewish cuisine. It's not all Jewish. It's really Jewish deli. And we throw in some Eastern European specialties because my wife's family is Polish on both sides. Really? She grew up cooking Polish, which is... I have a lot of Polish blood in me. So it's a natural. Come in for some bigos one day. Well, bigos I, is the national dish of Poland. I don't, I don't know a lot from. about Polish food, but I, my ancestors have come from Poland. Eastern European. I mean... Whether you're from Hungary or Romania or Poland or Germany or Ukraine or Russia, there's lots of similarities. You know, you've, you've got stuffed cabbage. It might be called one thing in one country, but it's the same thing. But my wife grew up, even though she's Polish, she grew up in an Italian neighborhood and her girlfriends didn't want to cook. So she got adopted by her girlfriend's parents. They took her under her wing and taught her how to cook Italian, the best Italian food in my humble opinion, in all of Utah, is in my house. And my wife <laughs> cooks Italian. Oh, I mean, man. she made uh, uh, manicotti uh, just last weekend as a special. She doesn't cook Italian much in the deli because that would confuse people. What was 
people's responses when you first opened up? I mean, obviously they didn't, they weren't aware of the place. Nobody was coming there yet. How did you get the word out? Like how, how did that all happen for, for people to even discover you? Well, most people were cynical. How could there be a real Jewish deli in Utah? So we'd get people coming in expecting it to be bad. And then we shocked them. It wasn't. It was the real deal. Because the only way we could do this is to actually bring corned beef, pastrami, mustard, pickles, cheesecake, and other sundries that you need in order to make real deli cuisine, get the real flavors. You had to bring it in from New York. There's no infrastructure for what we do here in Utah. So once I, as the business guy, figured out the logistics of how to get the important stuff here with my wife, Janet, being a phenomenal cook, she was able to figure out all the recipes that we needed in order to have the, you know, the 80%, I guess the the 50% of the things that you can typically get in a Jewish deli back East that makes you about 80% of the revenue. Uh, She figured out how to cook all the things that she needed we're able to convince a local baker to make her family's recipe for rye bread. She comes in 6.30 in the morning to make real bagels every day. We don't make a lot. We're not a bakery, but she makes real boiled and baked New York bagels every day. Your, your wife does. My wife, Janet. She's, she's the heart and soul of Feldman's Deli. Without her, we couldn't exist because she has the ability to cook and to reproduce all the flavors and textures and aromas of a real Jewish deli here in Salt Lake. The key was getting the right ingredients here to Salt Lake, which took us a little time to figure out without it getting so expensive, it would make it unaffordable for most people here in Utah because Utah's not used to paying 15 bucks for a sandwich, but people are paying that to come into a real Jewish deli in Salt Lake now. That must've been tough for you to go from, what you were doing before with all that chemist stuff you were talking about in the Mm -hmm. beginning to doing a deli. It was a big transition for me because I've never worked in this kind of environment. I I mean, I I worked as a waiter putting myself through school Sure, and I even worked in an ice cream shop making ice cream, you know, when I was in Philadelphia going for a master's degree, but I, I did not, work the kind of lifestyle that Janet and her family work. She warned me. She said, this is going to be a tough change for you because it's going to be really physical. I I was used to working with engineers and chemists and people who didn't need a lot of motivation. They They were on a career path. And now you're, you're working with people who, are are going to school and the the work that they're doing is kind of like just a, a job to help pay bills while they're going to school and stuff like that. And, Uh, It was a a much different kind of employee that I was dealing with. But I'll tell you one thing. It's a lot easier to run a $20 million biotech company than it is to run a little restaurant. I believe it because restaurants are tough. Well, they are. I mean, you're dealing with the public and you can't please everybody. No matter how good you think you are, there's always people that have something to say. And they'll tell you too. They're, they not, they're not. They're not afraid to tell definitely you. Definitely tell you. <laughs> and in, in this world of social media, where people would rather broadcast to the world than come up and say, you know, if they didn't like something, instead of just telling me, they'd rather just put it out there on Yelp or Google or something like that. You just have to learn how to to deal with things in a much different way. I was the kind of products and services I was dealing with uh, when I was in biotech was all kind of business-to-business kind of work. I didn't have to worry about dealing with the public so much. But uh, it's definitely a a very different business skill. As a matter of fact, I decided about a year into running the deli that I needed to change my whole perspective on how to run a business. And I took the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses course so I can learn how to run small business as opposed to running big companies. It does take a different mindset. Did that help you out to take that Absolutely. course? Maybe to, we should take that course. Yeah, Chrissy. I know. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. What, what was like the biggest difference between, I mean, what was the biggest jump for you from running a big corporation to a small local business? Well, number one, 
funding is way different. When you're running a big company, you've got shareholders. You need to raise a million dollars. You go talk to your shareholders and figure out a strategy to raise a million dollars. When you run a restaurant, you don't have shareholders to uh, raise money. There's not a lot of people that want to loan you money when you're running a restaurant because there's a high failure rate. So trying to to do that is a whole different skill set. Communicating with your customers is way different because you're talking to them constantly day to day. You're you're meeting them and work, working with them and and serving them and getting feedback from them on a minute by minute basis. That's not something you're used to in, in the big corporate world. Um, their biggest difference is just hiring and training and maintaining employees. Like I said a moment ago, when you're dealing with engineers and chemists, these are very self-motivated people. These are people that are building careers. You don't find necessarily so many of those people in a little sandwich shop. You find cooks that are good cooks and they want to be good cooks, but you're not finding cooks that are looking to grow their career and necessarily own their own restaurant and stuff like that. Because typically they don't think that they're ever going to get to the point where they're going to have enough money to be able to do that. It would be great if they could, but you're not running into the kind of career-oriented personnel that you have in, in corporate world. So learning what motivates your employees, keeps them happy and keeps them working hard for you is a whole different set of incentives than what you find in the corporate world. Now I'm looking at your menu here online. What would you recommend? What's Is there a sandwich, hot sandwich or cold sandwich that you would recommend to somebody who's never been to your deli? The best sandwich in Utah is our Sloppy Joe. It's not what you think. It's a double-decker corned beef pastrami, coleslaw, Thousand Island, Jewish rye. It's not a grilled sandwich. It's just a double-decker that will knock your socks off. It's the best sandwich in New Jersey. And there's a little history to that sandwich, if you don't mind me getting into it. Let's hear it. Yeah. So the sandwich, like the traditional sloppy joe, you know, chip beef on a bun, originates in a small bar in Havana, Cuba called Joe's Bar. Back in the 30s, before Castro, during the Batista days, Joe's Bar was a favorite watering hole of all the Hollywood types, you know, Cary Grant and Clark Gable and James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson would all go to Havana and they'd all end up in Joe's Bar. Many artists like Picasso and Hemingway would also go to Joe's Bar. Hemingway is the connection of the Sloppy Joe to my restaurant. So there are two things that Joe's Bar made that translated to the U.S. They had beef simmering in a red sauce that they'd scoop over Cuban rice, and that became what we know as the traditional American cafeteria sloppy joe sandwich. It was actually a lot better in Cuba. But they made a double-decker sandwich in Joe's Bar with beef tongue and ham, Cuban rye, house dressing. That was the best sandwich in all of Cuba. People from all over the island would come. Hemingway loved that sandwich. His friend, the mayor of Maplewood, New Jersey, came down to visit. Some people say it's Robert Sweeney. Other people say it's Thomas Sweeney. But he was an Irishman. Comes down to visit Hemingway. Hemingway brings him to Joe's Bar, which was given the nickname Sloppy Joe's because they would serve shellfish on ice, and the ice ended up on the floor, and it was always a mess. So the locals called Joe's Bar Sloppy Joe's Bar. That's where the names of the two items comes from. But Sweeney comes down to visit Hemingway, falls in love with the bar, falls in love with the sandwich, goes back to New Jersey. Now, this is back in the 30s. And he asks his neighborhood deli, the town hall deli in South Orange, New Jersey, the town right next to Maplewood, if he could reproduce that Cuban sandwich. But they were kosher back in those days. So they couldn't work with ham. So they reinvented the sandwich with corned beef and pastrami to turn it into a kosher sandwich. And that became the most popular sandwich in New Jersey. And it became the most popular sandwich in all the Jewish delis in New Jersey. Now, if you go to New York and ask for Sloppy Joe, they're going to say, what the heck are you coming here for? (laughs) You know, we don't do Sloppy Joes because it's a New Jersey thing. If you went into a Jewish deli 
in LA and you ask for a sloppy Joe, you wouldn't get the same thing that you get in New Jersey. But because I'm from New Jersey, we do the sloppy Joe here in Utah. How do you know so much history about food? I, know, I mean, that is amazing. Like, is it that talked about still in New Jersey, that whole history and transitions of the sloppy Joes? Or how do you know? Well, I know because if I'm going to do something, I know, I'm the deli man now. I mean, that's what everybody calls me. I'm the expert in, in for Jewish deli in Utah. So I better know everything there is to know because people are going to ask me a lot of questions. Oh, I love it. Don't get me oh, wrong. No, is that know. what inspired you to learn the history of the food? Absolutely. I mean, if we're going to do it, I mean, I I know what I did when I was in biotech. Mm -hmm. I took the same approach. I've got to be Utah's go-to guy for deli. Now, it looks like the east side sloppy joe that you got some turkey. That's the difference between that one and maybe looking here to see. It looks like pretty much just turkey is the difference with that one. Well, it's turkey and roast beef. So, So we do the sloppy joe three different ways. If you were to go to a Jewish deli in New Jersey, you might be able to order it any way you want. You basically get a choice of two meats, coleslaw, Thousand Island, Jewish rye. They, some of the delis put cheese on it. I, I think cheese gets lost on the sandwich personally, so we don't do the sloppy with cheese. And also, we do not substitute anything on our sloppy joe. It comes one way. You cannot substitute bread. You cannot substitute meat from the other than the, the two other versions that we do. So we do the east side, which is the same thing as our corned beef and pastrami version, but it has roast beef and turkey, and then we do the Hemingway. The Hemingway is the original Cuban version with beef tongue and ham. We make our own beef tongue. We don't make it all the time, but when we have it, we can make a Hemingway, which is the Cuban version of the sandwich. Now, why don't you substitute? Because when we have tried to substitute in the past, we get people who say, well, this is the way we want you to make it. And with with our signature sandwich, this is the only sandwich where we do not substitute. You can have it your way on Rubens and other sandwiches, but with our signature sandwich, the one that gives us the name that we have, we just do it the way we do it because when we've tried to substitute in the past, people order it their way and then they complain about it and then they yelp about it. We're not taking that chance any longer. So do you get a lot of backlash for that? Oh, yeah. People go, how come I can't have it my way? So yeah. there's ways to get around it. So basically, the Sloppy Joe is a combo with coastal and Thousand Islands instead of mustard. So if you order a combo sloppy style, you can have whatever bread you want. It just doesn't have, it's just not done in a double decker. So there's only two pieces of bread instead of three. But you essentially get the same sandwich when you order a combo sloppy style. That way you can have what you want. But when my kitchen makes the Sloppy Joe, it only comes out one way. Very cool. What do you think of of uh, like apps and sites like Yelp? Do you think they're good for small business or do you think they're actually a detriment? In general, they're good. It's really good. A lot of our reputation has been built because we have such a good social media presence. And 95% of our customers love what we do. It's just like I said, you can't please everybody. And the one thing I don't like about social media sites is when they, instead of giving me feedback, I'm in the deli all the time. I'm there for a reason. I'm the face of the business. I want to be out there just like uh, the restaurants that my father, mother and father used to bring me to. The owners would always know my dad. They'd always know what we liked. Half the time we didn't even need menus. The food would just come. My dad and the owners were on first name basis. That's the kind of business we were trying to create when we created Feldman's. Back in those days, there was no such thing as Yelp. If you had a complaint, you would complain to the owner. And the owner would generally take care of it. And my preference would be, if there was something that didn't come out the way you wanted it, let me know. I'd rather have an opportunity to try and fix it right then and there, and you leave happy rather than you walk out unhappy and then broadcast to the world for some reason that you're unhappy. So those are the re- reasons I don't like Yelp. social media. Yeah. But in general, I have to say that social media has done a lot more good than bad. Than bad. Let's talk about, like, you have, you have events there. And that was actually one of the things. Uh, we had Tony Caputo recently on I Am Salt Lake, and he was talking about this old Jews telling jokes night. 
let's let's get into a little bit of depth with this because I don't know if we did with Tony very not, not very quite much. as much. He told us a little bit, but it sounded fascinating. Is this a monthly thing you do there, or what? Every, every two months? Every two months, on average, we do it five times a year. We skip the holidays because everybody's distracted in the holidays at the end of the year. Uh, the next one's going to be April twenty, not April, May twenty fifth. We just had one uh, on the ninth. How did it start? Lou Borgenicht, who's one of the old coots who give advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great Tony, podcast, by the so way. So one of Tony's friends came to me. He's, he's a customer. Lou's a retired, now retired uh, pediatrician who writes a lot of articles to the Trib. He writes a lot of letters to the editor. He is a blues musician. He plays harmonica in Better Off with the Blues, one of the groups that comes into the deli. And I've gotten to know Tony as a customer in the deli during the, the first year and a half of, of doing business. And he actually mentioned something to me. He said, you know, Mike, we should do all Jews telling jokes. Have you ever seen it on the on the internet? There's a wonderful website, oldjewstellingjokes.com. You ought to go check it out. There's a bunch of guys that put videos of themselves telling jokes on the internet. And matter of fact, there's a there's an off-Broadway show called Old Jews Telling Jokes in New York. We ought to do that here in Salt Lake. So he said, nobody would come. He says, we're at Delhi. What are you thinking about, Lou? And he says, trust me, trust me, they'll come, they'll come. You do something like this, the whole community would come together. Well, the first one we did was in June of 2014, and we sold out. No kidding. Wow. And we've now done 33 shows that have all sold out. Now, now what's sold out? Like, how many people can you really fit in? Well, I, I can fit in about 60 people. Oh, wow. So decent a crowd. Yeah, yeah. And, and we will sell out about four weeks before each show. So you really have to plan and pay attention if you want to make it to one of these. Yeah, I put it on my website, feldmansdeli.com. And we will start filling up. It's a little bit slow the first month, but by about four weeks before the show, we'll be full. Matter of fact, I somebody walked in today and reserved 20 seats today. No kidding. Yeah. Birthday party. We huh? got to go check that out, Chrissy. Oh, we yeah. really do. I'm just... now over half full for May 25th. So why wouldn't you do it monthly then? Is it just because you want to keep the novelty still there or is it just, or a, it's lot just a lot of work? Well, number one, I have to shut down the restaurant to the public to do this. So if I did it too often, my Saturday evening customers would get really annoyed with, with us, number one. And number two, marketing 101. People want what they can't get. So if you only do it a couple of times a year, it becomes really popular when you do it. And that strategy has helped us maintain sellout shows every time we do it. The reputation for old Jews is like, it's amazing. It's the most popular thing we do. And uh, it's such a good night. Everybody has a good time. I've got a lot of repeat customers. People come back. They love the fact that it's a community of people coming together to have a fun time telling jokes. You know, some people describe it as kind of like a uh, a karaoke joke night, but it, it's not. It's It's more like, think of how Billy Crystal and his friends would sit around the coffee table just telling jokes, one after another after another. That's what it's like. I love it. We'll have to go check it out one of these times. Oh, my gosh. And yes. you also have music. Every live. Friday, Saturday. Every Friday. Other than the one Saturday that we do all Jews, we're doing uh, uh, music. We probably have about 40 different entertainers that rotate through. And you do that while the deli's open. Yes. So, so that, you know, your regular customers aren't getting screwed out of it. And right. So every Friday, Saturday from 7 to 8.30, we do music. And you play music sometimes, right? I told yep. you we'd get into yeah, this yeah, when you yep, told me yep. you played guitar. Right. Well, I used to play guitar when I was in college. I, I was, you know, high school band, college band, and then you start building a career and music takes a back burner. Of course, yeah. And um when I started hiring musicians at the deli, it occurred to me that I could do this too. So, I started practicing and practicing get myself back to performance ready. And about two and a half, three years ago, I started playing in the deli again. And I've been having a blast doing it. So because I know the owner, <laughs> I get to play there <laughs> once a month. a pretty good deal. Yeah, I get to play once a month. And then every other Friday, Saturday, uh, we bring in people like Lou Borgnick's Better Off With The Blues played a couple of weeks ago. And we had Sycamore Slim in last Saturday. And who's playing? I've, I've got... Guys like Utah Slim, a great local singer-songwriter, Chris O'Rock and the Laszlo's, 
Marv Hamilton's group, Hamilton, Cantermine, and Clark play there all the time. These are duos and trios that really draw huge. I mean, sometimes I even have to recommend that people make reservations so that they can get a table because we'll get you know standing room only. What advice would you give somebody who wanted to open up their own business? Um, it depends what kind of business, but if you're doing a small business, you need to understand the commitment that you're making to a small business is probably much bigger than you than you think. You shouldn't underestimate the amount of time and energy it's going to take for you to be successful in a small business. It becomes your lifestyle. You can't get away from it. Nobody is going to take care of your business like you do. For you to step away from your business and like go on vacation, we haven't, my wife and I haven't had a vacation since we opened the business. We've closed the restaurant down and we've rested, but we've not gone anywhere. Do you miss taking vacations? Yes, I do. But the upside of having your own business, if it's successful, there's nothing like making a difference in your community, making a contribution with either products or services. For us, the deli is has such a high gratification factor. Nobody in my biotech business ever came to me and said, wow, that's a really cool diagnostic that you've developed. <laughs> wow, I really enjoy using that diagnostic. Nobody ever did that. I mean, there were people who liked the quality of the work that we did, but every day I have dozens, if not hundreds of people that just tell me how good the food is in the deli and how much they've missed the food or how glad we are they are that we're here in the community. And then we get to have fun sharing Jewish culture with things like old Jews telling jokes night, with Yiddish word of the day, with things like that. So I get to increase the diversity of the community in Salt Lake by having a Jewish business, but also I get to have fun with the community sharing what I've learned, you know, as a Jewish kid growing up in New Jersey. What is the Yiddish word of the day? What is that? So on the weekends, on our special menu, when we put them out, I'd just have a Yiddish word of the day. Like, um, verklempt is a good example. If you're verklempt, verklempt is so, so overjoyed, so, so, so filled with joy, you can't even express yourself. You're so verklempt. So we put words like that on the menu and people will often come. How do you pronounce that? Could you use it in a sentence? You know, and uh, we have fun with it. That's awesome. Which is so cool. It's like you're creating this experience that's really affecting people's lives. Like food is such a personal thing to people. Mm -hmm. And they're always going to remember what you've done for them. Well, what I want them to to appreciate is how we used to eat in, in, in my generation. We used to go out as a family, sit together, have a meal, eat food that was cooked by somebody in the kitchen who really cared about the food that they were making. Funny story, when I moved here in 2000 to take over Northwest Toxicology, I asked my secretary, I want to take my wife out for a nice little Italian. Let's, I want to take her out on a date. Where can I find a nice little Italian? And she said, well, Dr. Feldman, have you ever tried Olive Garden? <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, I'm from New Jersey. We don't do Olive Garden. Tony Soprano would shoot me if I did an Olive Garden. Don't you have a little mom and pop shop? And she said, well, what's a mom and pop shop? So that's where mom is in the kitchen and pop's on the cash register. And they cook with passion. And you're going to get really good food that they would serve to their families in a small little restaurant. That's what I'm kind of looking for. That's what we got back in New Jersey and in the tri-state area. She so have all these little neighborhood hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Don't you have anything like that? She says, well, we got some hamburger stands, <laughs> got Woody's, uh, I don't know. And she couldn't think of anything. But, but the good news is, in the 20 years that we've been here, there's been a lot of people who've jumped into owner-operated restaurants. You've got Scott Evans and Ryan Lauder and Mike Trapp and Joel LaSalle. There's kind of been a resurgence of the small restaurant, more personal feel in the last few years. There, there's been a renaissance of food here in Utah mm -hmm. that gave us courage to do what we're doing. If it wasn't for those guys, when Scott Evans opened Pago, I was so thrilled that there was a really good restaurant where somebody really cared about the food 
and the wine list. And it was, it was a great place to go. And then I started seeing places like Eva's Crop, enter on Main Street. And then uh, you had Cafe Niche and Current and all these other places. So when it came time f- for me to turn to my wife and say it's her turn to do it, it wasn't such a leap of faith that we were going to be the only ones, that others have already set precedents that if you do it the right way, people will support it. But it was a still a pretty scary leap of faith. Now, a lot of business owners that I, I've met through the podcast and just in life in general, they always seem to kind of have another business idea in the back of their mind, right? Have you ever thought about doing another business or a venue or yeah. another restaurant? I mean, I was just curious if, kind of if, an you've, addiction. if you've thought about that at all. Well, I thought about it. Then I slapped myself upside the head and say, <laughs> you know, I'm getting too old for this. Obviously, things like having a bagel manufacturing business, I wouldn't want to have a bagel shop. You know, uh, I think Rob Abrams with uh, the Bagel Project does a really great job. That would be, not be my intention, but to have, knowing that my wife has the skill set to make really good New York bagels, I had thought about getting some RDA money and create like a, a commissary downtown in the industrial area and make really good high quality bagels that we could distribute to hotels and the high-end coffee shops up and down the I-15 corridor. corridor. But then you start thinking about, well, that's a lot of hours. I mean, you got to be in, you know, again, you know, it's the whole concept of wholesale baking. Your, your life is gone. Yeah. You're, you're in, in the shop at two in the morning. Your trucks are on the road at six, six thirty in the morning. So that would be something that, uh, if my kids who are 20 and 25, so if you're hearing this, um, <laughs> if you ever decide that you'd like to, you know, come into family business, I've got something for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do they help out much with the deli or, or? Well, they were both great um, with getting the, the deli up and running. They both participated. My young son is still working part-time in the deli as he's going to college. My older boy, after four years, said he had enough. He earned his purple heart and moved to California so he can surf every day. Don't blame him though, man. It's nice no. down there in Cali. Yeah, he, he has a pretty good gig. He sets up concerts for the major production companies. So he actually set up Tom Petty's last concert. Oh, oh nice. wow. Yeah. So, Very cool. So, so do get, your boys cook as good as your wife? Have they uh, like learned the, they the learned how to cook. They, they can both handle themselves in the kitchen, but there's nobody who cooks as well as Janet does. She's just got a knack and a talent that you cannot learn. It's, it's instinctive. Her family on both sides are Polish. She had her, her grandparents, her grandmothers were both really good cooks. When I met them, they were kind of scary looking. They didn't speak any English, but they could cook. And her mother was a good cook. And my mother was a good cook. Uh, so Janet learned what she knows about Eastern European cuisine from her family. My mother taught her Jewish cuisine, which is a, a variation on a theme because most of the Jewish immigrants that came to the United States came from Eastern Europe, places like Ukraine and Hungary and Eastern, well, Germany and uh, Poland and places like that. So the cuisine that is common to those countries is what she knows how to cook. And that's really the basis of Jewish deli, knowing how to make brisket, knowing how to make kefilte fish, which is basically whitefish. So the, the Jewish immigrants, when they came over, they were poor. They had to leave Europe in a hurry. So they took what they could in their suitcases and came to the United States without their fame, their fortunes with them. And so they, they worked hard and they saw an opportunity. They came to New York. Most of the Jewish immigrants were banned from cities in Europe for one reason or another. So when they came to New York and saw such a big hustle bustle city, they came up with the idea of opening delicatessens at the, you know, Early in the day, they were called appetizer shops, but then they started making these restaurants, excuse me, where you can either sit and stay and eat or take something to go. That was a foreign concept when these immigrants were coming in in the 1880s and 90s. Katz's Deli in New York opened in 1888. So that gives you an idea of how 
early, the Jewish immigrants were setting up delicatessens in New York. And it was pretty much a New York thing for a long time. It wasn't until after World War I that they started spreading around to other cities in, around the United States. At one time, there were 1,500 Jewish delis in the five boroughs of New York and 3,000 in the whole country. Today, there's about 150 left in the whole country. It's a dying art. Let's switch gears just a little bit here to uh, Salt Lake City. There's a couple of Salt Lake City-related questions I'd like to ask here on the podcast, Michael. If someone was visiting Salt Lake City, say this upcoming weekend, what would you tell them to do, to check out? Love the answers for this one. Everyone has something a little different. My favorite thing to do in Salt Lake City is ski. That's one of the reasons why I found it so easy to move here. So it's spring skiing, and we've got had a wonderful season of snow so anybody visiting Salt Lake ought to take advantage of that for sure. Even if you don't ski, go up to the top of Hidden Peak at Snowbird and have a meal at that new restaurant up there and catch the view. I mean, there's nothing else like it. I love the idea that in Utah, uh, in, in Salt Lake City, you can be in a totally different climate within 30 minutes. You can be in the middle of a desert. You can be up the mountains. You can be along the riverbanks in a, in a marshy kind of area. You can go to the Salt Lake. You can, in, in three and a half hours, you can be riding Red Rock. There are five national parks here in Utah. There are seven within seven hours, if you include the Grand Canyon and the, and the Tetons. I mean, we live in God's country. So anybody coming to Utah should experience as much of that as they possibly can. Utah happens to have a lot of culture and talent. One of the things uh, that I'm amazed at is how many wonderfully talented people I run into all the time. There is a great music scene here in Salt Lake. There is great theater, local theater here in Salt Lake. This is a city that has a great orchestra, a great ballet, and a great opera. And we've got some really nice venues to see the arts. Go out and check out some of the arts. Go to a small theater like the Hale Theater and sit within 20, 25 feet from the actors who are trying to entertain you. You don't get that in New York. True. You don't get that in L.A. Experience it here. What would you change about Salt Lake City if you could change something? What I'd like to see is a little bit more acceptance of the fact that Salt Lake is changing. It's changing for the better, in my opinion. But I, I think what, one of the things that I see is, is the reluctance to change. I would like to see Salt Lake City's cuisine scene improve by having more adult-like liquor laws. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the things that, that frustrate me about Utah is the fact that I'm not treated like an adult that can make up my own mind. I'm being told what I can and can't do. It doesn't always interfere with the things that I like to do, but sometimes it does. And we get a reputation, a bad rap. People who live outside of Utah think about all the weirdness of Utah. They don't necessarily understand all the great, wonderful things about Utah. And I would like to And change. that's what I'm trying to do on the podcast here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, but Show that we're trying to be a little more progressive. Salt Lake City certainly is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City is a comfortable place for people who move to Salt to Utah to live and find people that are like them. Uh, you get away from Salt Lake City and it gets pretty vanilla out there. But I think things are changing even outside of Salt Lake City. Go down Washington County and you, you can see that there's definitely change occurring there. Uh, you go up to Summit County and there's, I mean, definitely a lot of change up there. As a restaurateur, I would like it to be a little easier for people to relax and have a good time when they go out as yeah, adults. Have a glass of wine with your dinner, no matter where you go. Right. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the 0.05 law. Uh, as a medicinal chemist, I can tell you there's not a heck of a lot of difference in, in physical behavior between 0.08 and 0.05. If the state legislature wanted safer roads, there's other things we can do to make our roads safer, particularly 
stop people from texting while driving. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I see that all the time. It drives me absolutely nuts. What I loved, I was listening to Radio West. They were talking about it. I'm probably going to butcher it, but basically that bill got dropped because they f- uh, felt that it was, you know, infringing on our rights. Well, and it's it was like <laughs> other things infringe on my rights. Driving yeah, is infringing yeah, on other exactly. people's rights of yeah, survival. Exactly. Now, I know you mentioned a lot of local eating spots, but I have to ask this. Otherwise, the listeners will be like, you didn't ask Michael what his favorite eating local eating spots are. Uh-huh. Do you have like one or two that, that are just your all-time favorites? I actually wrote an article a while back called, Where's a New Yorker Find Good Food in Salt Lake City? Things that I like to eat. I like to have a lot of different flavors. So I like places that offer tapas or metze in the, in the case of Greek, small plates where you can have a lot of different flavors. Um, so good tapas restaurant, um, Meditrina. Okay. As a good example, Aristos for Metze or what's the new one on, on 900, about 400 East Manoli's. Okay. Manoli's great, great Metze there. I like Italian food, but I don't like bad Italian food and I don't like expensive Italian food. It isn't worth it. So the two places that I go for Italian is Nooch's, which is on 2300 East, about 2800 South. The guy who opened Nooch's is from Jersey, so he makes Italian food the way I grew up with it. Plus, he was in the pizza business for 30 years before he opened his his restaurant and pizzeria, so he makes the best New York-style pizza in the state of Utah, bar none. I mean, I like the pie hole downtown. I like uh, Maxwell's downtown, but Nooch's is definitely brings me back home with regards to pizza. And there's a place, I don't know if you remember the old Michelangelo's, which was in Sugar House in the basement, but it was owned by two real Italian guys. One of them was Paolo Celeste. He had to go back to Italy and to take care of his ailing mother. But after 13 years, he's back. He now has his restaurant down in Murray called Celeste Ristorante. That's real Italian and you're not spending downtown prices for it. I mean, it's not cheap. No good Italian can be done without importing a lot of stuff. But uh, it's not as expensive, but it's worth the, the price that you pay to, to eat at Celeste for real old-fashioned traditional Italian food. So as somebody from New Jersey, I got to have my Italian. I got to have my deli. I've got to have my seafood. So there's two places I go for seafood. On Parley's is Harbor Steak and Seafood. Uh, Randall, who owns it, and his partner and his partner's brother used to be the executive chef at the St. Regis, I believe. They respect the fish. You don't get overcooked fish, which is what the problem is that I found here in Utah before I discovered Harbor. And of course, Kimmy's Oyster and Chop House in uh, Sugar House on Highland. She's Scandinavian, so she grew up respecting fish. Those are two places where you're going to get good seafood. And with those different restaurants I just mentioned, I can be happy here in Salt Salt Lake City. Now, that's a heck of a list. That's like the most authentic food restaurant list I've heard yet. I love it. it. Well, I've had a heck of a conversation with you today, man. I'm so glad that you and I connected. I'm glad you've come on the podcast. I know we just skimmed the surface, really, of your story. Uh, And I always tell people, you know, let's catch up down the road and, and find out what you're up to. But was there anything that you were hoping that we would talk about that we didn't get to talk about why we're still recording here? We are not a franchise restaurant. We don't have franchise hours. Yeah. So we're open Tuesday through Saturday. We're open for breakfast at eight in the morning until 1030. 1030 is when we start switching the kitchen over for lunch. If we have bagels, we keep selling bagels until we run out. And that happens all the time because we're not a bagel shop. We make only a couple of dozen bagels a day. And when we're out, we're out. But that usually gets us through the half hour until we start serving lunch at 11 till 3. And that's Tuesday through Saturday. We close at 3. We reopen Thursday, Friday, Saturday from 5.30 to 8.30 for dinner with entrees and music on Fridays and Saturdays. And the website, give the website address so people can. So it's feldmansdeli.com. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash feldmansdeli. Instagram, Feldman's Deli, Twitter, Feldman's Deli. And I'll put all those links at IamSaltLake.com with this episode uh, notes and whatnot. So if, if you're driving and you're like, what's that 
web address, you can just head on over there to uh, to our site. And beware, be- deli addiction is a powerful craving. <laughs> if you've never experienced it, you will be hooked. I just, I have to try the sloppy Joe. I said it before you came in, and now I want it even more. Chrissy has a final question that she asks everybody that comes through here, so I'm going to let her uh, ask the final yeah. question here. So if you could leave our listeners with one piece of life advice or a motto, what would it be? If you don't take a chance, you don't have a chance. Many thanks again to Michael Feldman for joining us on this episode of the podcast. You can find out more about him and all the links to connect with him by visiting our website, IamSaltLake.com forward slash 380. Hey guys, we have a brand new iTunes, or should I say Apple podcast review? Uh, They're trying to rebrand all that. It's still crazy confusing, Uh, but we got a new iTunes review. I just want to read it here really quick because every time we get one, it makes my heart really happy. So if you guys have a minute, uh, head into Apple podcast, iTunes, whatever you want to call it and leave a review. We got this one from it's W6LK Mailman. That's the username he goes by. Love this podcast. He gave us five stars. So thank you very much. Thank you. And he says, I am a San Francisco East Bay guy, born and raised. I have three kids and my middle child decided that the U of U was for him. My wife and I visiting him really found Salt Lake City and all of Utah a wonderful place to visit. My oldest daughter went to USF in San Francisco, but over time fell out of love with it. She transferred to the U of U. Neither kid has graduated yet, but they have started fine lives in and around SLC. I want to be the cool dad and stay on top of SLC culture and happenings, and this podcast gives me a wonderful slice of life in Utah. Thanks to the both of you for your hard work and talents that you share. Each week, I threaten to move out there, but because I love my kids, I'll probably stay here, at least for a while. (laughs) Have a great day, Jim. Well, thank you so much, Jim. That, what a cool dad. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he wants to listen to a podcast about Utah just to keep up on what, what's going on with the kids stuff. Yeah, man. I hope we're that cool. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Some of the episodes I'm like, ooh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he doesn't. Uh, maybe may- not all of them. But. Yeah. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. And on that note, it is weekly recommendation time. I am really excited to give my recommendation for the week. So this is uh, just a little bit of uh, what the weekly recommendation segment's about. It's something that Chrissy or myself, we recommend it's not a sponsor. It's not anything like that. It's just something that, that we either like, something that has happened during the week, something we just want to recommend. So I got an iPhone 8 Plus. I was rocking an iPhone 6S for the longest time. It was time for a new phone. I woke up in the middle of the night one night. Well, it was a couple of days ago. I want to say Wednesday night. And it was just this light glowing screen. The, the phone went kaput. Isn't that the worst feeling? It is. And so all of a sudden I'm without a phone. We jump on KSL and the Facebook marketplace. And I want to say you found this sweet deal for an iPhone 8 plus. I think so. And I knew I wanted to get a plus phone though, because you have the iPhone seven plus. And I was like, I want that bigger screen. It's so nice, isn't it? And so uh, it's it's great. I recommend the plus size to everybody. I I can't believe I was looking at that small of a screen for as long as I was. So I know I'm impressed. So iPhone eight plus, that is my recommendation uh, for the week. That is a good recommendation. My recommendation for this week is Tattoos by Casey Rose. So we've had Casey on the podcast before. She owns Murder of Crow Tattoo Shop uh, in North Salt Lake, and she did some work on me this week, and it was wonderful. I love spending time with her, and she's a fantastic artist. And so I just, if you're in Salt Lake, make an appointment with her. I'm going to definitely get some work done by her. You really should. She's, she's doing amazing. a hell of a job on your arm there. I know. I have the, she's giving me the coolest sleeve. I'm so excited uh, for once this gets completely done and, and we can post some, some pictures of it at IamSaltLake.com. And before we forget, it is the first episode of the month. Happy May, everybody. It is time to give a little bit of extra love to our Patreon supporters. So we have a Patreon. It's kind of like an ongoing Kickstarter. It's a great way that listeners can kind of help support and fund this podcast. Believe it or not, doing a podcast is a lot of work. We're not making a ton of money from this. So people that kick on over a dollar or two through Patreon, 
It's a great way to make sure the podcast stays afloat. You can find it by patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake. There's also a link at I am Salt Lake.com with this episode. But every month we go down the list and we give a shout out to everybody that uh, is uh, a supporter. And so I want to run down the list here. We have John Miller, Todd Bjorkland, Tim Haran, Wendy Joe Bradshaw. She did the uh, Vippy Mouse Wild West Wendy Joe uh, Vippy Mouse Children's Series. And then Thelma Rother, Nicole Davison, Alex Santi, Riley Padilla, Brandon Hill over at Mountain Standard Time Marketing, Will Dugdale, Brittany Hemingway, Jeff Hadfield, Michael Beck, Eric Tamaro, Jeff Hatt, Sana, Alan Martindale, Nick Naylor, Brett Schmidt, Three Irons SLC, Nikki Line, Michelle Stevens-Williams, Dirt in Your Skirt Podcast, Christopher Heiser, and Jay Chambers. Heck of a list, guys. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, you could do this for as little as $1, you guys. And like I said, it helps keep the show going. So if you find any value from this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter, patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Five Wives Vodka, Energy Healing Conference, KRCL, and the Salt Lake Barber Company. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the show notes for this episode, which you can always find at IamSaltLake.com. And don't forget, sign up for our email list. Really easy to do. IamSaltLake.com slash email. Put in your email address there and you'll get like a weekly email from us of what's going on with the podcast, new episodes, and so on and so forth. And if you want to send us a physical letter or package, you can always mail us at P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. And Chrissy actually has a birthday coming up, June 9th. So, you know, maybe send a birthday card or something, right? Yeah, I love cards. Hey, you guys have a great week. Get out and enjoy the city. Support local. And we're going to see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy. Grammy.